Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is Thursday evening, and that means it is Special Topic Thursday. So an evening that is tailored to your questions. And this evening, I'm going to respond to your question, which was really an inquiry, a question that asked me to talk about the relationship between God, belief in God, faith, uh, politics, American history. Uh, They just wanted me to talk about that more all-encompassing topic of what does God have to do with us here in the United States of America and how we think about politics. So I will take a stab at that very uh, large topic, and I'm going to do so with the help of one Archbishop Chaput and his work, Render Unto Caesar, and uh, maybe tap into his more recent book, uh, Strangers in a Strange Land. I'll talk more about that here in a bit. But I did want to first uh, welcome all of you again, and just to say thank you for continuing to take time out of your busy schedule, uh, wherever you might be, and however you might be listening to this program. If it is live, then you have tuned in to 104.5 FM or AM 930, but maybe you're listening to this by way of the uh, MP3 file on my website, or maybe the iTunes podcast. Again, however you might be listening to Seeds of Truth, I do welcome you. And wherever you might be, whether it be in Canada, France, Portugal, Spain, South Africa, Brazil, wherever you might be, I see all of you on the grid. And, you know, it's interesting, the power of uh, what Jesus says and how if we are just faithful to what Jesus says, it will touch every heart, no matter who you are or where you live. Another thing that I was asked about, and, and I do want to speak to this before we engage that larger question of God, faith, and, and politics in America, you know, Joe, why is it so important to be asking questions? Just can't we learn on our own? <laughs> can we learn on our own? Of course we can. Can we be moved by the Holy Spirit when reading sacred scripture or reading a book? Of course we can. But let us remember, my friends, that one comes to discover the beauty of truth in a dialogue, right? In a dialogue. We have been given the capacity to reason, and as such, we apply logic, that instrument to reason, so as to discover the beauty of truth. Dialogue, log, logic, logos, truth, right? The word, diad too, so while we can be moved by the Holy Spirit for sure when we are reading the Bible or reading a book, it is so important to take those things that we are reading about and to enter into dialogue with them. Of course, this is what Jesus himself did. Does not Jesus give us the model in this? He was asked (laughs) over 300 questions, and over 300 times did he respond to the question with the question. You know, we go to maybe a conference and there's a Q&A. Well, for Jesus, it was more about the Q&Q, right? That by responding to the question with the question, we are actually getting to the heart of the answer. And by that, I mean, when we respond to a question with a question like Jesus did, he's making sure that we are taking ownership of what we are asking so that then we can properly enter into the discussion. 
Okay, so this is quintessential to just not our apologetic questions and, and getting our questions answered, but also the spiritual life, because so often we ask questions, but maybe we are not thinking critically about the question we are asking. Uh, and, and if we're not thinking critically about the question we are asking, maybe the answer won't have the impact it ought to have. And so when Jesus responds to a question with a question, he really wants to make sure that we are thinking critically about what we are asking so that it might have the necessary impact that our question should have. Uh, so the dialogue becomes very, very important uh, that we have the opportunity to think aloud, right? To really enter into the beauty of what it means to to just not have a question answered, but to be able to debate, right? <laughs> debate. I talk about this now because it is a kind of prelude to what I want to talk about this evening. As I seek to respond to your question about the relationship between uh, God, faith in God, uh, politics in the United States of America, I, I don't have the question before me because it really wasn't a question. It was kind of a a paragraph-long reflection into wanting me to talk about these things. And as I noted off the top, I am going to lean into Archbishop Shapu. I can do no better than reflect upon what he says. His works, render unto Caesar and strangers in a strange land, are, I dare say, my friends, books that you want to have on your bookshelf. And even if you're not a Catholic, and you're an evangelical, Baptist, Methodist, uh, Lutheran, whatever you might be, Archbishop Chaput is a man who has a muscle-bound intellect and has a deep sense of American history. And whenever he talks about the relationship between faith and American politics, he always has something important to say. And I know I've been in a number of conversations with different folks outside of the Catholic Church, and they absolutely love what Archbishop Chaput, Charles Chaput, has to say. So his books, Render Unto Caesar, and I should give the full title of the book here, Serving the Nation by Living Our Catholic Beliefs and Political Life, and Strangers in a Strange Land are important books. Render Unto Caesar was a book he put out in 2008. Image Doubleday Books published it. And Strangers in a Strange Land just came out and I'm not remembering the publisher, but if you Amazon it, Strangers in a Strange Land by Charles Chaput, Archbishop Chaput, those will come up. And I, I would also direct your attention to a website, newadvent.org. There's always some excellent articles on this website and articles that are tied to blogs that you can engage in some internet conversation with. Charles Chaput, Archbishop Chaput, often has some of his pieces online there. This evening, I'm going to draw in principle from Render Unto Caesar, because again, at best, I can just reflect with what he says. And what I want to do off the top in engaging this subject matter is <laughs> just say that when you look at the history of the United States and you take a careful examination into our past, what you will see is that when there was a problem— we turned to God. Okay? Today, we could say that some people, that some people, more people than 200 years ago, see God himself as the problem, and with him, the believers, of course, who claim to follow him. 
The name of the God problem, as Archbishop Shapiro would remind us, is religious extremism. Religious extremism. And of course, <laughs> since Christianity has always been the main religious faith in the United States, the real target then of today's elite uh, anti-religious resentment is usually who? But the Christian believer, right? More precisely, it's many of those Christians, my friends, who actually practice their faith, who rely on their faith to guide their actions, just not in private life, but also public life. And was this anti-religious sentiment not recently on full display? It was just a couple of months ago where the Notre Dame law professor by the name of Amy Coney Barrett was nominated by President Trump for the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. And she went before the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee. And as she did, she went before Diane Feinstein. Listen to what Diane Feinstein said. You are controversial. And she's speaking now to, again, Amy Coney Barrett. You are controversial. You have a long history of believing that your religious beliefs should prevail. When you read your speeches, the conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you. And Feinstein concludes, and that's of concern when you come to big issues that large numbers of people have fought for years in this country. (laughs) The dogma lives loudly within you. What is being said there? What is going on? Well, this really is what I want to explore. And again, in doing this, we will pull from Archbishop uh, Chaput, who says, today's um, modern phobia of God comes in two styles, and I love this, hard and soft. The hard brand (laughs) is that explicit atheism, you know, pushed by those celebrity unbelievers like the writer Sam Harris and, and maybe the scientist Richard Dawkins, and certainly we can say others. The hard brand, in essence, is more vocal. Another thing about this evangelical hard brand of this modern phobia of God is it's also honest. Huh? <laughs> Predictably, the panache, as Archbishop Shapiro would call it, of evangelical atheism appeals to the media, but In real impact, it may also be less important if you were to really think about it. Hard scientific atheism depends on a kind of uh, almost liturgical draping of unbelief with vestments of what but science. Science. Now, something that is important for us to understand here is that even among scientists themselves, a significant minority does claim to be religious. Uh, Here, one might think of Francis Collins, the head of the Human Genome Project. He is explicitly Christian. And in point of fact, when he talks about this genome project within the context of faith, he does it so as to encourage others to believe. Archbishop Chaput here speaks of John Polkinghorne, the respected particle physicist. He is also an Anglican theologian. Uh, Science, my friends, has great power as a tool. It's enormously valuable for exploring material reality. But presuming that all reality is material is what? We've talked about this before. But a belief in of itself. And for most people, a deeply unsatisfying one. 
Now, this, of course, does not stop the likes of a Richard Dawkins from comparing Abrahamic religions to loaded guns or on one occasion (laughs) describing faith itself as one of the world's greatest evils. And as he put it, comparable to the smallpox virus, but harder to eradicate. This is what these people think about religion. What is going on here? When you read or hear Richard Dawkins talking this way, he is not talking as a scientist, but as Archbishop Chaput duly notes here, as a preacher, but as a failed preacher because he does not take ownership of faith itself. Who preaches without faith? Good preaching can only come from our conviction in faith, that we have in fact been convinced that God exists, right? You know, it is in in this vein of thinking. I want to share a story with you. I was in Oxford in uh, 2008, 2009, and I heard one Keith Ward speak. Keith Ward is a very famous uh, atheist convert to the Anglican faith. I sat and watched him debate an atheist, and it was so fascinating to me to see this man, Keith Ward, who is a physicist, outduel him in a debate when it comes to philosophy and theology and all the rest. But I was most fascinated by the fact that the atheist could only at best present his cause as one who, in the end, didn't believe Because if he believed, that means he would have to change his life. He would have to deal with his past. One of the things that you see, my friends, in most atheists is a past that is tainted with many, many broken relationships. And and this is unfortunate. This is why you've heard me say before, we need to pray for the atheists. St. Trez of Lisieux had a devotion to just not praying for atheists, but writing to them. She felt that she needed to do everything in her power to reach out to those on the margins, which included the atheist. And she felt that way because she saw that behind the curtain of the atheist is one who simply, my friends, (laughs) has a broken past. And so, again, I think of this story with Keith Ward, because when you reflect into, say, a Sam Harris or, or Dawkins talking about religion as as one of the world's greatest evils that is difficult to eradicate, it has a whole lot more to do with how atheism is nothing more than a defense mechanism, okay? Uh, And this all is very important because when you start talking about the relationship between faith in God and, and politics in America, this has a lot to do with it, a lot to do with it. When Dianne Feinstein says that dogma lives loudly within you, what is she saying? She's saying that this lawyer, Amy Coney Barrett, is witnessing to her faith and that she cannot stand the fact that her witnessing to her faith in the public sphere of things is challenging her in her own faith. Incidentally, my friends, let us put this conversation into the much, much larger context of the God-man, Jesus Christ. What sent Jesus to the cross, historically speaking? What did Pilate ask? What is truth? What is truth? What did Jesus say? Did he respond to the question? Well, he had already addressed that question for three years. And 
profoundly so, he puts a punctuation on his sermon to that question for three years by picking up his cross and carrying it to Calvary to reveal to us that truth itself will be rejected. And when it is, we will be persecuted. Is this not what Jesus promised in the Sermon on the Mount? Could not have Pontius Pilate or the Sanhedrin said to Jesus, your dogma lives loudly within you. God was supposed to have the good manners to go away. He was supposed to understand that he was frustrating people because in his sermon, he was challenging them. But you see, God didn't get that memo because God just doesn't go away. In fact, every time we stand for truth and carry our cross, God just gets even stronger. You know, Archbishop Shapiro, I think, makes a very important point here. Contempt for religion is usually a sign of what but weakness. What makes the hard brand of unbelief more offensive, but probably and also less dangerous, is that it's so naked. The heart of celebrity atheism's claim is that atheists are smart and believers are dumb. Therefore, it's just not fair that anyone takes religious faith seriously. Christians believe, my friends, that God created all persons in His image. And because of that, and only because of that, all persons have inalienable rights. That includes unbelievers. From a Christian and Catholic point of view, my friends, people without religious faith are just as capable of superior intelligence, goodwill, and natural virtue as anyone else. They do and should have the same freedom to express their convictions in the public square as any other citizen, including, of course, religious believers. This is why, my friends, I was talking about what I was talking about earlier as it relates to the dialogue. Bishop Barron, the famous Bishop Barron recently, was talking about the importance of the art of debate. He gave a, a talk to Facebook, and I thought it was fascinating. He presented this topic on the art of debate to Facebook, this social media outlet, right, that is all about, well, communication, an outlet that often fails in the dialogue, that often fails in that very real conversation. A lot of Facebook is, is what am I doing or what I believe as opposed to an actual dialogue or an actual conversation. We need to rediscover the art of debate, the art of arguing not for argument's sake, but for truth's sake, for truth's sake. So really, in the end, my friends, a lot of what this hard brand of atheism is about is navigating that conversation and just coming to an understanding that, well, if they don't want to have that conversation, then they don't want to have that conversation, but that is outside of your control. Okay, now what can we say about the softer brand of the God aversion? Um, the softer brand of the God aversion wants to rewrite history, subtly using fear, and in many ways appeals to American generosity to do its work. Archbishop Chaput says the claim goes something like this. Christians played only one among many roles in the founding of the United States. Many of the founders were Enlightenment-style deists. The founders distrusted religion. 
They feared Europe's experience with established churches and wars of religion. Thomas Jefferson supported a wall of separation between church and state. He wanted to keep religion from wrecking the reasonable order of civil affairs. In any ways, times have changed. <laughs> Today, the United States has many religions. The faith of some group of citizens always tends to offend or victimize some other group. And he concludes, to avoid sectarian warfare, we need to keep religion out of the national public conversation. So, here, my friends, the state stands above moral and religious tribalism. The state, my friends, is what can best ensure the rights of everyone. Thus, a fully secularized public life would be the adulthood of the American experiment, a place where mature citizens and leaders could put aside private obsessions to choose the best course for the widest public. This is the American experiment. Or, once again, so goes the argument. Of course, you and I both know, my friends, nations do, in fact, change over time. Their public institutions must adjust. The United States is larger and more diverse than it was 200 years ago. We all know that. We face many new challenges. But unless we solve our problems in a way consistent with our founding beliefs and principles, we will become a very different nation. American identity as a nation is not built on ethnicity. As Archbishop Chaput reflects, it comes from a specific religiously informed understanding of the world and human nature and the convictions, there he's using that word, convictions, that derive from this understanding. You see, my friends, this is where the effort to exclude religious faith from the discussion of public issues is so damaging and often not honest, but dishonest. Think about it. Evidence for the Christian role in founding and shaping the United States is so massive that really denying it requires a particular kind of, I think, what we could call self-deception. As the uh, famous historian Paul Johnson writes, America was born Protestant. So the United States was never imagined, therefore, as a secular state. It might more accurately be described, as Paul Johnson would put it, a moral and ethical society without a state religion. My friends, <laughs> the founders never intended a nation that privatizes religion. Archbishop Chaput, I think, has a beautiful line here. Religious language underpins the charters of freedom. It is a religious conviction that frames their reasoning. A religious conviction that frames their reasoning to the least of which is trust. Trust. A famous uh, philosopher, but also scientist, Poliani, once established the fiduciary principle, the principle of faith, the principle of trust. He was a scientist, and he made the point that every scientific experiment, every scientific experiment is to some degree tied to a previous scientific experiment. So everything science does is in some way, shape, or form entrusting itself upon a previous experiment. So why do we struggle so much with trust? 
what do we say as a nation? In God we trust. In God we trust. So let us kind of take a step back as we wrap up our conversation this evening and ask ourselves the question, is our nation one that excludes the conversation because atheism is more rational? Or does it exclude the conversation because of what those who are in charge fear? The fear of change. The fear of uh, morally needing to change. Okay, something we need to think about. I, I know the question was broad this evening, and as was my answer, but if nothing else this evening, what I wanted to do with the help, of course, of Archbishop Chaput was offer up a few musings on these wider topics and their interconnectedness, uh, God, faith in God, and uh, how that uh, has impacted just not the fabric of who we are as a nation, but also how we relate to one another today. Amen? Amen. All right, let's close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.